any one of the questions that I received could really have been a sermon or a series with some of them, really. And I want to thank you for asking these questions. And the questions I got today are very different. But what struck me was that as I thought about each one of them, is they all come back to what you regard as having authority. There's an idea that goes back to a man named Albert Outler, and he's a person who once studied John Wesley. John Wesley was the person who began Methodism, and it's why we have all those Methodist churches out there. Different church traditions, and actually I would go so far as to say in our highly individualized world, every person has different sources of authority. When you and I, we decide what we believe, what we trust, we base those decisions on different authorities. Albert put out four of them, scripture, tradition, reason, and experience. So scripture for a Christian, that, that, that's easy, that's the Bible. Tradition would be a branch of Christ's church and the perspective it might have. Reason would be based on scholarship or science. And experience is what makes sense to us based on our own experiences. So as I respond today, I'll try to point out those how those responses use those different authorities. The first question made me laugh, and it's also really interesting. The seed came out of a question from a New York Times article about temple garments worn by under as underwear by Latter-day Saints. Evidently, there is an active movement to change these, the ones that are worn by women. And so here is the question. What does God require of you, and what does your church require of you? Do God and the church require the same or different things? And who gets to decide what your church requires of you? Would I wear itchy underwear for my church? I don't know. You will make the robe for the vest olive blue. The opening for the head should be in the middle of it. The opening should be reinforced by a woven binding, a strong border so that it doesn't tear. On its lower hem, add pomegranates made of blue, purple, and deep red yarns all around the lower hem, with gold bells between the pomegranates all around it. A gold bell and a pomegranate should alternate all around the lower hem of the robe. Aaron will, re will wear the robe when he ministers as a priest. Its sound will be heard when he goes into the sanctuary in the Lord's presence and when he comes out so that he will not die. For each question, I've included a scripture reading because that is a source of authority. And I do wear blue, as an Aaron is supposed to do. But clearly, there are no bells or pomegranates attached to me. So I am not following scripture to the absolute letter. The question is all about the authority that you give your tradition, your church. For people who give their tradition a high degree of authority in their lives, if their church says, wear these clothes, you do. 
my tradition was based on having an educated clergy. So we made these robes that were made to match academic robes. A Roman Catholic bishop, otherwise, will also wear the same outfit as a judge wore back in the time of the Roman Empire. Anyone who has ever worn a uniform knows the feeling of belonging to something bigger than yourself. If the church says, this is how you must act or how much what you must wear to be with us in the community, each of us makes a decision about that. Sometimes we do that thing, even if we disagree or think it's silly because it's about belonging to something bigger than us. In those cases, we put our trust in a tradition. And God? I don't think that God strikes ministers dead for what they wear. My experience tells me that. But I know that every time I kiss my stole, this, when I put it on, I remember God, and I remember my vows to serve. If you wear a cross or a wedding ring, perhaps you know something about that. With all the time that has passed, what reminded me of Doug Welch's suggestion to have this question and answer time was a question that I was asked a few weeks ago about Trinity. So I included that question in my original Facebook post asking people to send in questions. However, at first I only got questions and thoughts about Trinity. And I honestly don't think that most people spend too much time truly thinking about that. But here was the question. Trinitarians worship three gods, not the one God whose name is Jesus. Explain this to me. Okay, to start with, I don't know any Trinitarians who would claim to worship three gods. And Jesus would never be okay with his name being used in the place of the one God. He would not be okay with that. So that, that's kind of a rough start to a response. Sorry about that. Trinity is not a word that you're going to find anywhere in Scripture. However, you'll find plenty of passages like this familiar one. The angel replied, The Holy Spirit will come over you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the one who is to be born will be holy. He will be called God's Son. Our next question is about heaven. In this case, the idea of where our souls exist when this mortal life is over. So the question is, what does the Bible or what do scholars say that would be helpful for heaven skeptics like me? I believe in Jesus because scholars say that there is evidence he existed. I believe in God because of the story in the Bible of people's personal experiences with God. I have a harder time with heaven because there seem to be no personal reports. This has troubled me for a long time. I love this question. I, I love it partially because it is so explicit in the person identifying the sources of authority, reason, experience, and scripture. Don't be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. 
My father's house has rooms to spare. If that weren't the case, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? When I go to prepare a place for you, I will return and take you to be with me, so that where I am, you will be too. That's a really common scripture to be at memorial services. But it's pretty vague on the specifics. My little sister is actually joining us today, and it's actually her birthday here today on Sunday. And in two weeks, it will be 25 years since our mom died. And I trust, I believe that I will see her again. But will she be my mom? Joe Roberts' body, the, the body that gave me life, is gone. Our roles in this life were of mother and son. But are those roles eternal? Jesus in the Bible as a whole says very little about the life to come, which surprises some people. Jesus' one response to the question of whether we, the roles that we have in this life will follow us into the next, he said, you're asking the wrong question. So this is not a response that I can give outside of my own experience and faith in the God of Jesus, in the God of love that transcend time. I trust God. I trust that God will hold my spirit in communion with my moms and with all those that I've ever known and loved, and even more. I trust that whatever God has in store, it'll be good. It'll be better than I can imagine. However, I cannot prove that. I cannot point to the scriptures. I can point to the scriptures that give me comfort and to the experience that I've had in dreams. But heaven truly is the unknown country. And I do not fear it. Our last question today is really challenging. And I've preached on it before. And it's how we reconcile the idea of a God of love and those passages of God advocating violence in our scriptures. Particularly this one. And this scripture then kind of leads into the entire book of Joshua. When you approach a city to fight against it, you should first extend peaceful terms to it. If the city responds with peaceful terms and surrenders to you, then all the people in the city will serve you as forced laborers. However, if the city does not negotiate peacefully with you but makes war against you, you may attack it. And Lord your God will hand it over to you. You must kill all the city's males with the sword. However, you can take for yourselves the women, the children, the animals, and all that is in the city, all of its plunder. You can then enjoy your enemy's plunder, which the Lord your God has given you. That's what you must do to all the cities that are located far away from you specifically those cities that don't belong to these nations here. But in the case of any of the cities of these peoples, the ones, your Lord is, the ones the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance, you must not spare any living thing. I've heard preachers try to explain the scripture away as, well, it's only the people in the cities it's technically not genocide. 
So on behalf of Jesus, I'm just going to say it. That doesn't make it right. Here's the thing. If you hold scripture in the absolute highest authority, inerrant and absolute, above reason and science, above any church doctrine, above even experience with God's living spirit, then unless God's love somehow includes wars of conquest and occupation, then you really cannot reconcile this. The best you can do is try to explain it away. The Bible is sacred to me. It has and it does reveal God to me. But it alone is not sufficient. I know Martin Luther is clutching his pearls. The way of Christ to me is centered around core values. Values of compassion, justice, mercy, inclusivity, and nonviolence. So when I'm presented with a passage, an idea, or an action that I cannot reconcile with these core values, then I am suspicious, to say the least. The Bible has been used to justify atrocities. People would use passages from it to justify killing and human trafficking. Satan could quote scripture to Jesus. Scripture is not enough without the experience and the guidance of the living Spirit of Christ. It is to that Holy Spirit I trust. It is to the core values I see revealed in Jesus Christ that I hold on to for living this life faithfully and fully. There is much I have said today in my responses that other Christians, maybe you, disagree with, or maybe we just think differently about. Much of what I've said today is a witness, my witness, as a devoted follower of Christ. And where I have erred, I count on God's forgiveness and grace. You see, God knows my heart and loves me anyway. And I believe that is true of you too. Our, our unity doesn't have to come from us always agreeing, but instead from a deep commitment to walking together in Christian love always. You pray with me. Lord, transcendent God, Holy Spirit, Lord Jesus, a commitment to your way is not a set of rules, but a path. A path that we take with others who help us, who guide us and guard us until we take our place with you. Be with us as we go and help us know you more fully and bless this world in your holy name. Hear us as we pray. Amen.